All righty. How's everyone doing this week? Looks like we got some spring coming up, spring cleaning and spring is showing up for a couple of days. And then we're going to go back to winter, I believe, on um, Thursday. Welcome to West Texas. I love it. It doesn't stick long, does it? Anyway, if you guys have been, how many have been enjoying our 40 Days of Relationships series? How many have taken a 40-day challenge and actually visited a life group? How many are afraid to visit a life group? Okay, we'll talk about that today. Last week, we talked about love is mosaic. Today, we're going to talk about love is generational. Love is generational. We talk about as a church here, we're multi-ethnic, multicultural, but we're also multi-generational. You see our, our demographics? We go from 19 or 17 or what? I'm sorry, three years old all the way up to 66 years old. I'm not going to tell you 66, okay? I'll just point. Just kidding. But love is generational. When we talk about that, we're talking about generational transfer. Generational transfer. How one generation is charged to bring the good news of the gospel to the next generation. How each and every one of our responsibility. How many parents do I have in here? Your number one job is to pass the things of God down to the next generation. And I'm going to show you in the Bible where it says that and how we do it as a family and then how we do it as a spiritual family. Because I believe one thing, nations do not fall apart from the external. Nations fall apart from the internal. If we lose the families in America, we will lose America. Because that's the very fabric of our nation is strong, vibrant, godly families. And I know when I made this plan to, to preach this message, I had no idea that I would be going to Campus Harvest and see all these young people just on fire for Jesus. And I said, I'll never preach off an experience. But I had to cut this one short because I was impacted by what I saw this weekend, especially from our church. From the half this place is empty because a lot of those students are just making their way back. But the biggest thing was those kids that used to be in children's church were leading worship for a whole, for a whole region. Praising God, giving God the glory, and wind up all these kids getting their lives touched. But I watched them sing in children's church, and they come up here and lead us in worship. And then I talked to a worshipman, one of our regional, uh, one of our national worship centers. He says, I want more people from Abilene, because when we did the last class, we had the biggest, uh, we had the biggest participation. We had five people go to get trained in worship. One of them was my son. And he's, well, he's assistant worship leader in California. His first, I've never seen him in, some, in such a high-intensity worship set. The first three songs, you're supposed to be jumping and clapping. I was crying because I was so proud of him. And I was totally just blown away by Kaysen and all those guys and Josh, all of them just leading worship. And they always, they always, they always have this problem about Abilene. Does anything good come out of it? You better believe it does. The best come out of Abilene. And it comes out of this church. And that's what it is. And from parents transferring down to children, who are children going to get impact the world. That's a big vision. And you say, how do you change the world? One family at a time. When I looked back and I saw my son leading worship, I remember Miss Irma Lopez, when we got here in 96, she was his first teacher during, during summer camp. And he was having a ball, and she was loving it. 
And they would go on baseball games and all those other things. I just saw how all the different people in the community was able to mentor, uh, mentor him and all the different kids that we have up here were impacted by one of you. So when we talk about love is generational, we're talking about as a people, as a, as, as a families, husband and wives, passing down the truth of the gospel to their children. Not the mess. Not your personal mess. We don't destroy kids before they're supposed to grow up. Kids don't need to have adult problems. You pass the gospel down, the truth, which only brings they'll set their hope in God. Amen? So get your Bibles out. Now, Psalm 78, starting in verse 4 through 7. This is a, a scripture talking about transferring the gospel, the good news from generation to generation. If you look at this, it's about the children of Israel. They're going to talk about a time period. From, they're going to pass down the information from what Moses did all the way down to King David. And look, look what it says in verse, starting in verse 4, Psalm 78, verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that has, which that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a lawyer in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. It's a commandment. It's not a nice-to-have thing. And the next, that the next generations, everyone say next generation, might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in who? And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. One thing as you guys, when, you, when we break this open, we are habit, we can forget things if we don't rehearse it every day. If we don't get the past information down, we will forget what God has done for us. It becomes a Sunday experience. But it says as you're teaching your children, you will not forget. Your eyes will not forget what you saw. Your mouth will not forget what you experienced. And it says for us, it's a commandment that we teach it to our children. Reason why this is so strong, if you know about the book in the book of um, Exodus and, and uh, Deuteronomy and all the, the, the first five, the law that Moses wrote, then it became going to the history books, which is Joshua. Now, how many believe Joshua was a strong leader? We read about it, how he went around and the walls of Jericho fell and they were in there and they were just taking nations and doing all those things. And he was powerful and ready to go. And the people were behind him sometime. And sometimes they weren't because they were people. And he was going. And next thing you know, you get to end of Joshua. He made a statement in 24. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Which he said that because other people start to have different ideas. Then we get in the book of Judges. And it says this, after Joshua passed away, after the elders that were with him passed away, there was a generation who rose up and did not know God. Parents, do your children know God? Or their their hope set in God? Or set in this world? 
That's a tough question to ask, to answer. Because if we don't touch our children, it'll be the book of Judges all over again. Because the result of that was one of the key scriptures, key phrases in the book of Judges was the people did what was right in their own eyes. Because he was a great warrior. He was an awesome. But he died a monument, not a movement. It stopped with him. He was not a good discipler. He was a powerful warrior, but it died in his generation. One thing living in this town for a long time. I came here, saw some big churches with big buildings. But I'm seeing some people get a lot older, and there's no one to follow. So when they close the doors, when they die, they'll close the doors because the kids aren't coming up behind them. I know it's tough as us old folks. They don't, they don't respect, and we'll talk about that. They don't understand things. But they're so important to tomorrow's world. We're charged to pass down history, which is his story. We're charged to teach generations to trust God, learn from the past, and to obey God's word. What a job. And this is before we get to the church. This is at home. In the Jewish culture, the children knew about God before they knew about arithmetic. It was required. And here's a, here's a, here's a kicker, guys. It was required for the man to teach the children. You mean mama don't teach? No, fathers teach. Not mama. She assists. It's responsibility for daddy to do it. Now, daddy, you're going to teach one way or the other. And I met a lot of kids, first-generation Christians this weekend. I was so proud of them. The dad was in jail. The uncle was in jail. The, the brother was in jail. They're the only ones that's going to college, and they're living for God. They never, saw the, they never resonated how important that is. They started a new generation. Not, and I said, not for you. You're going to go and do great things. Because it is. Habitually, when someone's in, in prison, incarcerated, everyone starts to follow. Every young male. 76% of the males in prison are in there because their dad was in prison. Talking about leadership. Negative or positive, you're going to lead someone somewhere. Guys, love you. That's what happens, guys. Your lack of leadership causes a lack of effectiveness. I love you. This is for me, too. So let's talk about it. The first place we start when we talk about passing down generation is in the family. In the family, we're charged to obey and to teach. Just like we make disciples obey, we obey and we teach. Deuteronomy 4, chapter 4. 9 through 10. If you know about the book of Deuteronomy, it's about the book of remembrance. It's the second generation. The first generation didn't go into the promised land. Had to wait till they die off before the second generation. God, I mean, Moses brought them before the mountain and told them everything that happened to their moms and dads 
And he's reiterating what's going on with the covenant. So it's called the book of remembrance. But if something's here, clue here, he's charging that generation to teach the next generation. It says this, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord at Herb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words. So they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. What they heard from God, talking about the fathers and the mothers, at the mountain of God, God said, bring them, Moses, bring them all to the mountain. As I may speak. They got so nervous, they said, Moses, you go up there because God's voice is very frightening. He said, you're going to take what you hear from God. Listen to me. What you hear this morning, you need to take it home so you won't forget and rehearse it with your children. Know why? Because parents, here's, here's, here's something that's awesome for us parents. We're God's first choice as teachers to teach our children. Everyone says I'm a first choice. You can't escape this one. We're God's first choice. We're God's best. Who can teach better our children than us? You know what happened in society today? Everyone thinks the school system should do it. Used to, the school system used to be a secondary teaching. Church used to be a secondary teaching. Now we become the front-end teaching. So when there's anything wrong with your child, you're blaming the teacher. But anyway, the only problem with the child is his character. That should have been grown up at home. Love is generational. You love and you'll teach him. And no one has to be spectacular at it. You open the Bible and you read it. And you say, this is what it means to me. We got to learn to teach the Bible to our children. We can't escape it. We can't let rely on our children's ministers to do it. There's a movie I like, Not Easily Broken, T.D. Jakes put it together. It's about a husband and wife, and everything was going well. And the wife had a mother that was very dominating. She got hurt in her time here with men, and she was going to make sure she protect her daughter. And something happened to her daughter. She moved in, and she started destroying that relationship. And it came down to the very end when the man says, I can't take it no more. And the lady, his mom, her mom is just screaming at her about men of dogs and their this and their that and that. And she says, wait, mama, look at it. And she started, had a revelation. Mama, you're offended. Mama, you're hurt. Mama, you're domineering. She says, I try to teach you everything I know. And she said, you forgot one thing, mama. You forgot one thing. How to love and forgive. And then she went to her husband. No one taught me how to be a wife. No one taught me how to help other people. The two important things about Jesus Christ is love and forgiveness. 
Wow. Before they get to school, guys, we're leaders. You take out the back of your skull, it says, forged by God. I am God's man. The Bible says so. We were born first. We, re- we, re- we received the instructions first. We were, supposed to te- we were supposed to teach Eve the instructions. She wasn't there yet. And somehow we flipped it and became non-involved. And the nation is suffering from it. Because we're out of order. How serious are we at Grace Point Church about this, guys? If you go by our children's church, we've been busy trying to set things up and get everything going. You ever see these when you come in and sign up? These are our, what we call our newsletters for each child, all the way from um, Flight 56, who just left out of here, the nursery, they call them Grace Be- um, Babies, and we got, oh, that's Robbie Benningfield on there. And they have all the things that are going on, the Bible verses. We try to make it easy because we're dead serious about the next generation. Then we have in the jungle, two and three-year-olds. It's that sparkle. That sparkle. <laughs> and she had everything that's going on in the month, month of March. Guys, we're trying to help you raise your children. We're going above and beyond because that's how we take this seriously. The next one, cross town, four and five-year-olds. Rebecca, how you doing? Rebecca is about to have a, oh, am I not supposed to say that? Okay, all right, she's about to have a baby herself. And she got all the practice working at children's church. And then we had the K to fourth grade, talking about some serious issues. And then we have revolution, who I'm playing. Because, guys, if we don't reach them, we'll close this door when I die. Teenage is the most important thing in the world. So parents are the first choice as teachers of the children. It's interesting. You hear parents, they got an attitude. <laughs> Where'd they get it from? You're looking yourself in the mirror? What you been teaching them? Most of it's your fault. They're supposed to, the teenager, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what day it is. They think they're 26 years old. They're only 15. They got no money. <laughs> totally confused. That's what real love from Jesus. They don't give you a reason to love them every day. I understand that. Jesus, we don't give Jesus a reason every day to love us. Right. Totally out there. But I was thinking about these guys when I was in, in um, Texas. I saw the guys from the University of Texas. I said, there's a guy named Lorenzo Joe who's going to be the star quarterback of Abilene, Texas. Coming to Texas. You guys better take care of him. You know I'm coming back to see you guys. You going there, right? All right, because I talk big, man. They said, yeah, who's that guy? I said, man, he's six-something. I don't know. He's been wearing a Texas shirt since he was this small. Throw a quarterback and run. He runs one way. He, he, he clears a state. Long legs. But he's more than a football player. He's a man of God. That's the most important thing. And they were sitting in there too trying to learn how to be men of God. So when you see the families working 
functioning on all eight cylinders. Not perfect, but progress. That transformed into a healthy family, into a healthy spiritual family. And then we get into the spiritual family and all the different ages. How are we supposed to get along? When young people don't clean up much, like we would do it. Right? Y'all all say it. Y'all all say it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Who taught you? Remember, if mom and dad is in there, you become the new mom and dad. I used to preach hard to the young guys. I can't. I'm the dad now. I'm an old young guy. So we get in here. Um, Paul is raising up um, Timothy and Titus. And Titus is in the, in the country of Greece where they are a mess, but they know the gospel. And he's talking to the church on how to get along with all these different age groups because they were a mess. The women were wild. What y'all laughing at? They were. Did what they wanted to do. Tell their man whatever they wanted to do. I ain't going to tell you who they slept with. Anybody they wanted to, it's in the Bible. The men were like, okay, whatever, I'm a guy. I don't got no responsibility. Go ahead, honey. This is Greece. Titus, there's your church. <laughs> Titus had to say, Paul, couldn't you give me something else? No, well, Timothy, you want Ephesus? Because they're worse. Well, never mind, I'll go to Greece. <laughs> Greeks every, hated everybody. Everyone to them was dogs. And here we go. Tim, Titus, chapter 2, verses 2 through 7. Now we start off with the older guys. How many older guys I got in here? How many going to admit it? <laughs> Who's over 25? You old, man. You old. Just kidding. No, you're not. No, you're not. I heard a guy say the other day, hey, I'm turning 30. Really? Is that old? Really? Try 55. But I'm better now than I was at 30. Because now I know what I'm doing. When you're young, you don't know what. You, that's why we beat you in basketball every time. Y'all run around like, and we just sit there and shoot. We're not running. <laughs> Bring those threes, Sammy. Bring the three. Pastor Sammy, hit that three, baby. You got to hit that three because we got no gas left. <laughs> and he hit them threes when we need it, and we win all the time. And those guys are running, jumping through the ceiling. And we're just dropping threes because we can't go no farther than half court. And we try to teach them, hey, man, it's about organization, really. We're so tired. And they want to play some more when they lose. I was like, man, we're going to win while we're on top. And throughout the game 16, they have a victory. They all, they're talking smack. We're tired. Of course, we didn't care. At that point, we don't care who wins. <laughs> I like it on that. Titus 2. Something about being old is cool. I'm at AARP. I'm awesome, man. I'm awesome. I get cheap vacations, man. <laughs> I get the front of the store. <laughs> anyway, Titus 2, 2 through 7. Blame it on the Holy Spirit. Older men ought to be sober-minded. Now, if you look at these days, talking about the church because these guys like to drink. When you say sober-minded, don't, don't get all religious on me. <laughs> Brother, you got to lay down. You got to lay down on that liquor. You got to be sober-minded. Dignified, self-control, 
sound in faith and love and steadfastness, which is faithful. Now, all these things he just said is us older guys. You can't even say this. This is what you're supposed to look like. This is all done by example, not by words. I always tell people, you never want to say one thing and do another thing that will call yourself a liar. We do that organizationally. We never want to say in our church that we're this way and we're not practicing that way. You can just call us a bunch of liars. So whatever we say, whatever we put on the walls, we want you to experience here in in the sanctuary or in our life groups. Older women. Okay. Likewise, you ought to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slave to much much wine. Women were drinking that wine. They're winos. Sorry. It's the Bible. Why would he put it in there if it wasn't true? <laughs> yeah, okay. Y'all say, I got to put the wine down. Yes. Anyway, they're to teach what is good, teach and to train, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled, which means you should not be going against what God says. Like words, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity and dignity. And that last, that last passage is to t- Titus, how he is supposed to teach. Whenever you want to take someone somewhere, you have to become that first. If you have not become that first, you cannot take them somewhere. So we got to be careful what we say and what we do. Have to line up. But if you're not there, you cannot teach someone to be there. Because they'll see that you're there. They'll hear what you say, but most of the time they'll see what you say. And most of our communication is seeing because we're so, such visual creatures. And the two words in here, you exhort and you be an example. Teaching as parents, you teach by your words, and you teach by your example. Everything you do is under a microscope with your children or with one another. As older men should be able to teach the younger men, like we try to teach them in basketball. Self-control, young man, pull up and take a three. Teaching them how to be men. Met a bunch of guys this weekend. They didn't have fathers. They don't know what it means to be a man which put the church at a different light. Though I have my own son, now we have to be fathers to sons who don't have dads. And some of them had dads in the house, but dad wasn't showing up like he was supposed to show up. Come on, somebody. Dad was giving giving the raising of the kids to the mom. And dad was showing non-commitment to mom, so you think you're showing to your son or your daughter. Don't commit. Now, if you're a sister and brother, if you're the older sister or the older brother, you're teaching the statutes of God. Not you. My son, I won't call my son, hey, son, we had a bad day, broke our leg, me and mom are going under. What happened to his faith? I just killed it. So I passed faith to faith. Example. Hey, Don't do this. Why? You don't see me doing it. But you can't say don't do this and you're doing that. 
Can I be real with you? How can you take them somewhere you haven't been there? How can you teach them commitment if you haven't committed to anything? All of us, men or women, how can we commit if we haven't committed anything? Because you're teaching them one way or the other. Your lack of anything, you teach them to do nothing. And I don't want to be responsible for that. I saw young preachers all the time. It's not about the title. You preach who you are. You're, the message is credible because the man is credible or the woman is credible. If they're not credible, the message is just dropping at the seams. You want this life to live above reproach? It's the greatest life. But you got to learn above reproach means nowhere near anything that anyone can say anything. Don't give me your card, say I'm a minister, and you divorce your wife. Don't give me a card, say I'm a minister, and you cohabitating. Don't say I'm a man of God, you can't commit. Hello? Women the same way. Learn. I, you know, I, the greatest thing I learned growing up, <laughs> how to play basketball, was going on the playground and getting in the, with the big guys and learning. They wouldn't, you know, you get in the line. You, this is hard, it's kind of heartbreaking when you don't get picked because you're the shortest dude. They, I want him, I want him, I want him. And no one, they just pick over you. So now you're going to dribble the ball to your next. And then the only time I got picked up is when someone couldn't make it. Right? So I got in the game. <laughs> then they wouldn't pass me the ball. Man, the young man, just go in there. Rich, just go back here, brother. And you just go ahead and pass it in bounds. That's all you. I always get to shoot. Yeah, right. Oh, thank you. Still hurting from that. I'm healed in Jesus' name. And what happens when I get to take a shot? Then you, man, and it miss. Oh my gosh. Young blood, young blood. I told you don't shoot the ball. What's wrong with you? I shot it anyway, because I know someone's going to show up at the park the next day. When I hit my first shot, they're like, young blood's getting it. Next thing you know, you get the ball passed. Now I got beat every time. But then I learned to be the guy to beat everybody all the time. I learned the best ball player from a guy named Mike Chappelle. Should have been in the NBA. That brother can ball. He wouldn't pick me. Then he started picking me. You're my right-hand man. And I learned from the older cats. Learned this from the older cats. Had some guys who were criminals. They said, man, we're criminals with this, but young blood, you're not going to be that. You better get out of here. We wasted our life. You need to get out of here. You learn, I learned that from some older cats. Younger cats. Need to look up to, we got to give you something to look for, shoot for. These younger, older guys, they're here to do that. Older people ought to be looking out for the younger people. Younger people ought to be looking out for the older folks. Why? Because we don't want to foul out. We're not, too, we're not too late to do anything. I don't care if we're 60 or 70. We're not too late to teach. To teach faithfulness. To teach that thing of not quitting. To teach godliness. One of the couples I learned, I always talk about Miss Doris. And she taught, they taught, they taught us about marriage. 50, how many years? 40 years? 52? 
52. You talk about an example. Who am I going to go for advice? Someone who's divorced? If I'm going bankrupt, am I going to go see someone who's already broke? No, that's what the church is for. We help one another. And that's how God creates a strong spiritual family. All ages, drawing from one another, strength from one another. How'd you do that, man? How'd you do this? I don't know. How'd you do that? Because godliness is promoted in the context of community, not in isolation. It's in the context of community, learn that common unity. I, like I said, I like to see the young ones. I poke at the young ones all the time. I was, I was up at Campus Harvest. I said, man, I cannot wait to see Dusty up there singing in about three years. She's starting in youth. She'll be up here. And then when, I call, when she goes to college, because you're going to college. But, you know. And then we're gonna, me and Miss Don are going to see her. Like we saw them other kids. We were like, oh, my gosh. What a blessing. I'm going to see Daniel's child. Y'all going to be a singing group. <laughs> right? Daniel's shaking his head. Daniel said, man, I can't take another day. And I said, but he's the most powerful father I've ever seen, most humblest man I've ever seen, that he can teach his children that. And Miss Jamie, both humble, both love the Lord. They didn't take a, hit. They didn't take a Bible class. Is read the Bibles and try to pass it on to the children. And you see him a little man, so a little man. Now he's this man. He be driving soon. Daniel shaking, he ain't driving that car. <laughs> so that's the glory of it, guys. When we, we grow up here, we get to see everybody grow up and do greater things. And we get to, as an older generation, we get to springboard them up. I'm not, I don't like this new type of uh, life that uh, mom and dad go to one church and son and daughter go to the other. You know, I grew up in Lutheran church. You, it was no option that you didn't go to church. Even if you didn't, I called stand up, sit down, smack them church. Because I stood up when I was supposed to, you sit down like you're supposed to. If I didn't do what I was supposed to, your mother smacked you. And you sit down in the pews and you had a little crayon and you're sitting there doing this and the guy, you don't know what you're doing, but you're in church. Did I know Jesus? No, but I knew church. And then one of the greatest moments I was able to experience, my mother was my first Sunday school teacher before she died. So what did she do? She planted a seed. Was she perfect? No. She was progressing. I don't think God calls us to split the family. I think he puts the whole family together at home, then brings the spiritual family together. To celebrate his, we all represent his glory. Because the young guys are always saying, well, no one respects me. This is for the young guys. 1 Timothy 4.12. You want respect? Check this out, young people. Verse 4.12, young Timothy. This is Paul telling young Timothy. First, no one despise you for your youth, and we should never despise youth. That's why the music's loud. Everyone, my ears, put some eardrums in, because that's how they hear stuff. In fact, this is low come what we heard this weekend. Especially the rap stuff. Me and rap, I'm, I'm getting a new relationship with rap. 
I, you know, I was gone when the Sugar Hill Gang died. That was my rap. <laughs> what can I say, Sugar Hill guys? You know, the Sugar Hill Gang. I know, y'all weren't even born yet. Let no one despise you, but be, set the ex- believers an example. Set us an example, young folks, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You want respect? You have to earn respect. Same thing our age. We want, we think sometimes as adults, we, have de- what they call, we want designated authority. We, we strive in our world to be designated as someone in authority. But we forget the ultimate authority is what we call moral authority. When you've been walking long enough and, and, and deep enough with God that automatically you have that influence to speak into other people's lives. That's the one I want. I don't, you don't have to tell me I have to be in charge. I want the moral authority that you don't have to tell anybody anything. They just, I want to follow you because I'm telling you what, man, there's something you guys are doing. And that's how you build a generational church. Is it easy? No. Everyone needs to do it this way. We'll have two traditional services and we'll have one which you call a contemporary service. No, we're not doing that. We're going to do it all. We're going to blend it all. We blend the ethnic groups. We can blend the music. That's what it's about. But I realize with no fathers in the homes, officially, and no mom stepping up, I know I'm, thank God for grandmothers who are taking the load. They have to take a load. They never, they should be on the beach in Bermuda. But they've been put into work to save a generation. Now, I know it's that. One thing about Adam, when God called him in the garden, Adam was in charge of identifying all the animals, bringing identity. And each generation needs that someone to lay, not the world to call them Generation X or Generation Y. Need godly men and women who's called them the chosen generation, the rising generation, the, the, most, expen- the most gifted generation there is. But we don't have that nowadays, but we're working toward that for young men to know who they are in Jesus. For the older men that say, hey, it isn't over. You still got some years left. You got some, sa- you got some winning those sales. Keep on going down the road. But in those areas, he laid hands on them and told them who they are. And some of you might not have that. Can I have our life group leaders come up? We're going to close. When I talk about the 40-day challenge, guys, that's what I'm talking about. Because, again, it's promoting the context of community in isolation. got folks here that's, that open their houses up, who love you, who want to pray for you, want the best for you. As we close, whatever issue you're dealing with, don't leave here without someone praying and agreeing with you. Don't let pride get in your way. Walk in humility. Go meet some new folks. Because it's about community, not isolation. Most people wind up destroying their lives in isolation, not in community. Because someone's feed them a lot, there's nothing left. There's nothing left for you to do. And I want to encourage you. Take out 40, you go ahead and meet some of these folks here, and you go 
Visit a life group. Got a few weeks left before we finish this series. Because we don't want anyone isolated. You shouldn't, you should be in family. God becomes, a, he's a father to the fatherless. He puts people in families. And you, like me, your biological family's not that strong, but I tell you what, my spiritual family is stronger. And they tell me the truth when I need it. Quite often lately. And I can tell you this, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for one guy. One guy. When I came here, I said, we're going to do something here. They want me to do something. What should I do? This guy said, you do it. I'm going to hear, I'm behind you 100%. He should have had the job. I got the job. But I referred, deferred him to the job. He said, you need to do the job because there's something in you that I see that maybe no one else sees. And then he told me a year ago, man, I'm just waiting for the time for you to do this. And I'm like, what? He knows what I'm talking about, Mr. Booker himself. Happened in community. I came here isolated. Mad at church, mad at people. I got in community. Caring, authentic community. And I got to say, I can't, I didn't do it on my own. God and people did it. And guys, to raise our families today, we need God and people. And we need guys in your families to be men of God. Love your wives. Love them like, how are you going to teach your son and daughter to love God? Love God and love another woman. You have to show them how much you love their mother. If you neglect their mother, you show them women don't count. I go to more briefings today about how men are treating women. The names that they're calling women. Why they learn that? They learn that at home. They didn't learn it in school. You know what they learn? By example. So that your challenge is great, but we're greater. While we all stand. I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ. Families. Pull together. Pull your kids in. Give them a hug. They might, they might yell at you. They might because they're angry, because you've been angry with them all your lives. But you need to refix that because your first disciple you make is at home. It has nothing to do in the community. You can't do it at home. You can't do it in the community. And you can't afford to say it's not my job. Because then they become a statistic. And we don't need statistics. We need glorious next generation doing great things. If you don't know how to do it, you get with someone who knows how to do it. But you get with somebody and you humble yourself. How do I love my daughter? How do I love my son? How do I love other people? You get with somebody. I feel like, you know, you feel like a dad's talking to you now, right? So kind of the, that's kind of the thing I defaulted to, a dad. Someone told me, you're a dad. That's why you preach like a dad. You don't preach like, this is great. Yeah, I try my best. But I know some men and women here who raise some ju- great children who can help those who are struggling with them. Humble yourself. Let's pray.
Father, I just thank you today, God.